Hey there, it's Mathieu. And this is Federico. Welcome to The Dart Bullseye. A podcast on innovators, entrepreneurs and investors. AKA people familiar with the matter. In fact, we love to chat with brilliant people coming from all walks of life. Like you who want pan with no radius. You who launched Christmas in three months. You who want to challenge Amazon e-commerce. You who dream to send your car to space. You who invested in oil during the Green Bubble. And you who build bridges between research and innovation. Welcome back. Today, I have the pleasure to speak with Enrico Costanzo, who is an innovation manager with both a research and business background. And today we will talk about many, many things ranging from innovation management to open innovation and corporate venture capital. Welcome, Enrico, and thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you, Federico, for this invitation at the Dark Bullseye. My pleasure. So, uh, would you tell us a bit more about your background? So, regarding myself, I am an innovation manager, meaning that my role is to develop and bring new ideas to the market. But as you can easily understand, is a very challenging task and also very interesting. Um, regarding my background, so I did my studies among Italy and France. I've been living in different cities, in Pisa, in Lyon, and of course, also in Paris. Um, and uh, by training, I am a scientist, actually a biologist, a plant biologist, a very special field of biology. But then, after my PhD, I switched to business, uh, entering a quite special MBA program, which is the Collège des Ingenieurs, and I did this in Paris. But you know, but you also know this program quite well. Why this shift from science research to business? Huh, this is a very good question. Um, well, I did a PhD. And during the PhD, I realized, let's say, the kind of mismatch between not actually what you are studying, which of course you have, because in a classical PhD, you do basic research, but this is not the point. The point is between what you expect from your research, that typically is to get an impact, to have, to see an impact even on society, and what you can actually uh, get from it. And uh, somehow, I think I found my way uh, in innovation. So, and what do you think is the main role of public research in the innovation process? Why do you think it's so important? Well, when uh, public research, or I will say even basic research, is just essential, in the sense that is the uh, just the ground, on which you can build the knowledge from which uh, something new can actually stem. Um, but of course, first, we should say that there is a huge difference between research and innovation, and one should always keep it in mind. This is very important for public policies, because when we say research, in research, the goal of research is really to find out new things. Really what your, your aim is to develop new knowledge. Uh, innovation is still finding new things, but those new things have to be used by someone. And so there is the utility which is coming in. If we talk about deep tech, that means that not only do you need to have the 
the scientific knowledge to develop something which is actually working because if it doesn't work from a technical perspective is, is not useful. But on top of that, the thing that you develop which is working from a, a, a tech perspective, it should also be useful for uh, somebody. It should really fix what is called a pain point or at least uh, be the answer to a specific need. And this is really the difference between the two. When uh, we see a program aimed at fostering innovation and uh, fostering uh, uh, research, uh, those two things are not always kept in mind in, in the right way, meaning that, at least from what I see, uh, we see some programs some which are trying to push people that used to do uh, basic research doing uh, applied research and we might uh, question if this is the right thing to do and on, on, on the other side uh, it can happen that what is called innovation most of the time is not innovation at all simply because people are not looking at the need of the market are not looking at who are the users and so on and what it changed uh, at the end of the 20th century was that indeed uh, in the end the, 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 the link between the market and actually the, the user and what companies even in the B2 sector uh, used to do um, become actually so small that in some cases even disappear just think about platform like Alibaba where you can easily find out the price and, uh, and the technology from China and from wherever in the world. And this, this was really the, I think, the transition point where a lot of those companies realized that they were not paid the required attention to the end user. And so they decided that it was time to switch to a different model where you first are looking at trends in society, the need of the, your users and the users of, of, your, of, your, uh, of your customers if you are a B2B company, and then you start developing a new technology. In some cases, you can even just look at the use and then uh, look for the technology that is already existing, but you could repurpose for this specific need, okay? Meaning that innovation in business model, most of the time is more important than innovation in technology. And which kind of best practices would you recommend uh, uh, to coordinate these two uh, very different processes? So public research and the whole bunch of activities that private businesses do on top of it. I think that there is a difference and I will add that there should be a difference simply because the purpose uh, the purpose are different indeed, okay? Um, if I'm trying to find out something which is uh, really like philosophy because basic research is like philosophy, uh, I should be allowed to do this uh, with proper funding. Uh, this doesn't mean that there should not be a continuous link between what is developed in universities 
and what is happening in society and uh, in companies, meaning that, of course, the ivory tower of researchers uh, should not exist anymore. This, the problem of uh, what is called the um, vulgarization, uh, the the publicity of basic research and how to let uh, as many people as possible be aware of what's happening inside the labs because then the society as a whole and, uh, and, and also private companies or startups could find in this, how can we say, in this gold mine of, uh, of basic research, the answer to some of the need that they are finding out in, in the market. Okay, so uh, in your perspective, uh, basic research should be just like a kind of open repository of what society uh, can provide in terms of uh, technology, of knowledge, uh, to build services on top of it. Yeah, I think so, because really is the the backbone, okay? If you don't have uh, this kind of research, for sure you you don't even have the basic knowledge to to answer uh, what you, 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 you could find as a possible need. Um, what, what I see instead is uh, a problem of culture inside academia in the sense that um, really from experience, uh, I think uh, there is a need of management practice inside the laboratories. I mean, just the knowledge, even how just to manage people inside a lab, all these things that are actually useful uh, everywhere should be applied also in academia, okay? Uh, mm. But keeping keeping uh, separate the, the, the two the, the two purposes indeed. This doesn't mean that there should not be some specific entities doing applied research, okay? Because applied research yeah. is also important and fundamental. And this also doesn't mean that we should not look at more and more link between the two. Uh, in the sense that what today is really not happening and uh, it's a pity is the fact that when you are in academia, either you stay in academia or if you go out of academia, you will never be able to go back. This is really a problem because even when you go to a company, you do research or apply research in a company, you still have the opportunity to develop knowledge and somehow uh, why not allow people to, to go back because and to mix the two culture. Yeah, and uh, there's another drawback usually in, uh, at least in my perspective, I'd like to, to know yours, um, regarding the um, uh, state of public funding schemes for innovation. I mean, very often I see these kind of uh, grants, this kind of public calls, which oftentimes bring together partners coming from uh, both universities and private businesses. But I see a lot of wastes in this kind of projects, which is a normal thing for innovation projects, especially risky ones. But in this case, it's hard for me to gauge the real impact that these projects can have, especially in the long run. What do you think about it? No, you are perfectly right. And uh, this really is a a key point of uh, another part, which is how to fund innovation and really have a collaboration between universities and companies. Uh, the problem of this kind of, uh, of grants, 
is is the fact that they brings a lot of uh, bureaucracy for both sides is the fact that most of the time they really uh, result in a waste of resources why because because uh, the market is uh, most of the time is even not taken into account okay uh, and and so um Actually, my, my opinion is that these kind of grants are a bad result of um, general underfunding of public research. Uh, let, let, let me explain this. Um, yeah. It has been uh, said that um, universities should be uh, closer to the market. And on the, on the other side, it has been stated that, uh, uh, at least in Italy, where we have most of the very small companies, they don't do uh, research at all, or if they do, it's something really basic. Yeah. So the solution which has been uh, found out uh, was, well, now you should work together and develop something together, which on the paper, it looks very nice. The problem is, first, that we know this kind of grants ca can be easily repurposed not to do what we were aimed at, but just a way, let's say, to get this kind of funding. This is a very, a very big problem. Second, we have universities which are uh, underfunded and they are always looking for this kind of fund to do a kind of research which is not what they would have done if we were properly funded. And, the other and on the other side, we have companies which will spend most of the time developing something in which they actually are not uh, really... Uh, they, they don't trust, in fact, simply because uh, from what we see, at least the part of the market either is not, it is even not taken into account into, into this kind, into the structure of these grants, or if it is, is only at the end, which is, uh, which is the, the worst thing to do, because you should first look at the need of the market and then do your program in deep tech research. Uh, we should have both universities and companies doing research and also innovation. That means also all the knowledge around marketing and the knowledge of, of the market and how to do new things. And don't you think they also lack some kind of economics or business expertise? So this is a very <clears throat> good question. Um, so my impression is, uh, I mean, I think the answer really lace in uh, bureaucracy. Why? Because um, all these kind of grants are based on rules and definitions and definition over definitions. And some, somehow it has been stated from the beginning that research is only technical research. So uh, said that, the logical conclusion for, uh, for the... For, for, let's say, a supervisor, is that only technical research should be funded. In this way, we are missing the, 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 the real impact of this kind of funding. Um, I, I also think that the, not only we should be able to bring people from economics, but even people from social sciences, because yeah. when we develop something new, we need anthropologists, uh, we need 
people being able to do what is called user research, which is research in, in uh, actually uh, on people and what people think. And, and this part is always missing, I think, just because of uh, definition and uh, really it's kind of, um, yeah, a problem really from the beginning of, of what has been defined as research and what is not research. Um, and all this, to me, should start by reversing the whole process. I mean, if this program are aimed at innovation, innovation starts with the market and the, uh, and the usage, and then you switch to technology. You cannot do in the opposite way, as it is today. Okay, thank you for uh, this kind of insights and information. Um, I'd like to enter the second big uh, part of the interview, which is about another area of expertise you have, which is open innovation. Uh, so what's the state of open innovation in Europe, at least according to your background and experience? So as you know, Europe is always a follower of the states. So now we are basically... At a distance, I will say five years from uh, what the uh, United States are now. Um, so, what, what is the state the, the, of open innovation? Well, is the moment when most of the of corporates are realizing that uh, is uh, collaborating with startups uh, is is something which could be useful, but of course is not going to fix all the problem they have in terms of growth. It's a moment where a lot of companies have already tested different ways of doing uh, uh, the so-called open innovation from setting up accelerators, uh, internal incubators, even entrepreneurship. And uh, I think is uh, is really a moment of shift also because of the economic uh, uh, situation we, we are living in, uh, which we required a general reassessment of the way to collaborate with startups uh, and, uh, and, and try to, to bring value out of them. And which kind of benefits do you see for uh, private companies engaging in this kind of processes? Well, first, we should acknowledge that open innovation somehow always existed in the sense that open innovation uh, could be intended not only collaborating with startups, but even just collaborating with universities. And this is something that always uh, happened. And uh, the reason is very simple. The knowledge outside of the company is always bigger than the knowledge you have inside. But uh, when you think, uh, uh, I'm going back in the past of 20, 30 years, when companies used to have very huge research centers, um, the way of working of these research centers was quite uh, uh, secretive, okay? The idea was I need to protect all my knowledge for, from competitors. Uh, and, and the only way to do that is to, to keep all the knowledge inside. Then it was arrived that this way of doing things actually was not sufficient, even not paying back in terms of uh, new businesses, uh, simply because first, so most of the time was not the knowledge, but the business model. And, and, uh, and also because of the uh, um, appearance of the startup phenomenon, of course. Uh, the startup phenomenon was, of course, accelerated by the digital transformation. And when we had Facebook, Uber, Airbnb, 
very big companies were just scared of that, scared by the fact that uh, startups acting even without uh, technical assets were able to become uh, this kind of giants. And, and really they were scared by, by this and decided that it was time to try to change and and uh, and and probably to set up uh, what is said that if you cannot uh, beat your enemy, you should collaborate with him. And so the idea was let's try to collaborate with startups and to find startups before they become the giant they will disrupt us. Okay, this is really the starting of open innovation. The point is that uh, there are, the, the, the Facebook and the Uber are really a very small part of the whole startups that existed. And so uh, beating on startups is not an easy task, meaning that when companies are collaborating with startups, as it is normal and as, as all VC knows, in um, only some of them will actually be sufficiently working, fitting with their business model and so on, so in a such a way to bring actual value to the company. And on top of that, I will add that there is uh, a general cultural problem in uh, uh, related to innovation, okay, um, which is the so-called uh, execution versus uh, research of new businesses, in the sense that a large corporate is structured in a way to execute the business model uh, that has uh, been successful for the, for the company in the past. In the very same moment you try to disrupt yourself, well, this is not, a, not at all an easy task because internally you will have the core business, which for sure will not be happy of that, uh, and will try to destroy or at least to, to do not pay attention to, to what is proposed, either internally by entrepreneurs or uh, bringing it inside by, by a startup. And, and this opened really uh, many, many questions on how to manage innovation, which is the, uh, really uh, what is exciting about, about my, my, my job of, of innovation manager. And which kind of innovation do you think is more affected by open innovation processes? So uh, let's let's first say that there are two two kinds of, of innovation. Of course, uh, you first have what is called external innovation. That means I my goal is to develop new things, new products, new services that I would like to sell outside of the company. But there is also an internal innovation or uh, process innovation where, let's say, the, the user the, is inside the company. Uh, and, and this means improving uh, general processes uh, from industrial processes till uh, the, the, the world of digital transformation, okay? Which is a way to improve uh, because of uh, uh, informatics, uh, the, the, all the functions or the classical functions you have inside a company. So then when it comes to open innovation, the point is you are collaborating with, uh, let's say, a startup. This startup 
typically has developed something new, which could be uh, a technology, uh, a, a new product or service. The point is, um, a startup is a so small company that it doesn't really make sense at this stage to think about an M&A, just because it's too small and because if it is a real startup, you should assume, assume that they still didn't, found, didn't find their uh, uh, business model, okay? So you cannot develop synergies as you will do in a classical M&A. Given that, um, if you look at uh, a new product from this company to implement, uh, of course, this could be something that could, could work, but you know that you should first beat somehow the core business because you should be able to, to, to let them accept to implement something developed by, by somebody outside. Instead, if you are looking for uh, a way to improve your, your internal process, and it happens that the, what you're looking at is so new that uh, there are no small companies around or structured company, but uh, only startups. Then, of course, you should look for startups and try to find out the best startup able to answer your specific need. And in this case, um, collaborating with startups could be very useful because you are aligning in a very simple way your need with what this with the the thing that the startup can bring to you it's very simple it's a matter of alignment um i have a need the, the startup is answering my need then it is working i would like to develop a new product they start to develop a new product but most of the time the core business is not aligned at all and this is where problems start and this is not only very interesting but also to some extent related to uh, my previous interview with uh, Simone Maggi, the CEO of Lanieri. If you, in case you missed it, uh, you can find it uh, in episode four of the Dark Bullseye. And what do you think is going to be the evolution of open innovation in the future? Do you think it's a kind of transitory phenomenon, even if you, you of course, uh, said that um, it is deeply rooted in the tradition of innovation processes? Or do you think it will become some kind of embedded organizational feature for big companies? No, I actually don't think it's something uh, transitory in itself. The way it's, it has been done, I mean, uh, I, I'm thinking about accelerators, even incubators in some cases, okay? The structure allowing uh, open innovation will likely change. And by the way, we can already see that most of, a lot of companies are already looking at developing a, a new kind of way to collaborate, uh, which is the, the, the corporate venture capital fund. Okay, so I think there will be an evolution in the way to collaborate with startups in, in order to, to have what is missing most of the time, which is the alignment between the startup and the strategy of the company. Uh, in the open innovation itself, uh, they need to collaborate externally, either with universities or startups or other uh, research centers, or even, even uh, think tank. Association is something that it is here to stay. 
So which of the many organizational structures that corporates have developed during the last years, like corporate incubators, accelerators, but also entrepreneurship programs, do you think will last uh, and do you think will develop into more relevant kind of open innovation structures? This is a very nice question because if you look around, you can see a kind of zoo of um, entities that have been uh, developed. And uh, so on, on one side, you have systems trying to bring knowledge from uh, outside inside, which mostly means collaborating with startups. Uh, here you can have the model of the accelerator and uh, you can have the model of the multi-corporate accelerator when you are even not one company but you bring together different companies in order to accelerate possibly together uh, a, C, a startup for us uh, for a certain period of time and test the business model the product uh, uh, whatever then you have uh, incubators incubators means you find a startup you bring the startup in, inside uh, your uh, corporate or multi-corporate incubator, but mostly corporate because in that case you are on a on a on a on a, on a much longer period of time, uh, so that you can let the startup grow somehow inside and uh, and develop. The, on the other part of the zoo, you have the the ways to let the company develop a new way of working, of thinking, even of doing business internally. And this is something which is go from the design studio. The design studio is, um, I'm an industrial company, uh, I don't know, making for components for the automotive. Uh, and I, I, I understand that I have too much engineers, but I don't understand the market. Then I, I will bring people from uh, background different from uh, the one I already have, like uh, uh, UX designers, uh, anthropologists, uh, new kind of marketers, and let them find out the trends, okay, and develop new knowledge. Or even design if I want to, to, to have this a, a little bit pushy, I could add coders. And because, of course, when it, it, it comes to, to, to coding, you don't have a real asset, let's say, uh, and develop a new app uh, and something like this to improve the customer experience uh, and so on. And then I can go till the point of develop, try to develop internal startups inside the company. And this is, let's say, the corporate garage where you have real entrepreneurs developing or try to develop full new businesses uh, from scratch, uh, include, which should include them, find out uh, the pain point, find out the marketing design, the deep the business model, till going to the technology uh, and uh, the actual product. So really as internal startups. Uh, I think because all these systems have a very high risk of failure, the, the, light, the lighter they are, higher the rate of success. Okay, meaning that a design studio typically will have somehow more success than a corporate garage. However, as you can realize, the impact of a design studio is much, much smaller than the impact that a corporate garage could have. 
And what do you think about corporate venture capital and their potential, the risk they entail for corporations? And what's your opinion? So first, let's say that there is a lot of um, hype, excitement about uh, uh, this other way of um, uh, setting up not not necessarily collaboration, but links with startups. Uh, it's quite interesting, but of course, uh, we should always be aware of the hype. Um, so what's, what's the point of uh, uh, CUC? Well, uh, the point is, um, probably compared with an accelerator is, uh, let's say, um, let me say, softer because you are relying uh, on, on, uh, on, on a financial link, essentially. The point is, um, when you are a corporate, you are putting money on a startup, actually you have a double expectation. And I see a huge problem in managing, properly managing this double expectation. Because since it is a venture, you could expect a, uh, yeah, a return on, on what on what you're putting on the table, of course. But on the, on the other side, since it is a corporate, you are also looking to collaborate with startups which somehow are strategically aligned with your business. So what does it mean? It means that since it is VC, we already know that the, the good exit will be very few. And this could be already a problem for, for a corporate perspective if is not told from the beginning. Second, um, one should clearly state what is expecting in terms of uh, uh, strategy for the collaboration with a startup. Of course, it's a very good way to test a completely new business that you would like to, to have more detail about, because if you are sitting in the board, of course, you can have access to all the IP, to all the business model strategy, and uh, and see this done by somebody external. So that means you you are not risking uh, your own teams on that. Okay. Um, mm, the point is, uh, I I'm afraid that most of the corporates will use uh, VC as a kind of pre MA. And as uh, stated before, doing an M&A with a startup is something very difficult or even dangerous because, because an M&A, you should do it if you can foresee synergies. If you are working with an actual startup, this startup is too small, the business model is still not fixed, and sometimes even the product is not fixed, meaning that even the market is evolving. So. Uh, you cannot do or even imagine an M&A at this stage. But, meaning that you should not beat on startups which are too close to the core business first. You should do this on startup on, on uh, uh, let's say, lateral or even radical innovation where you can really learn something new. Uh, and meaning that you should be able to codify what you will learn from the journey with the startup and being able to justify this in front of uh, the founder, which is the board, of course, because you can likely expect that the exit 
uh, most of the time will not be a good exit. So the financial point will not be will not be realized. Uh, and you should be able to pick up the maximum information about this, this the new market you're exploring, about the technology the startup is doing, uh, and etc. And um, and this really means uh, being being able to do uh, a very good strategic alignment from the beginning for this kind of uh, structures. Thanks a lot, Enrico, for this whole amount of information. And one last curiosity. What's your opinion about the clean tech wave? So a lot of people continue to say that this is just a bubble and that, for instance, PCs are not tailored to this kind of investments. What do you think about it, especially now that governments are finally taking the lead in this field? Well, uh, we know that there is always an hype, okay? So the hype phase is, uh, uh, it, it does exist. But uh, when we talk about uh, clean tech in general, uh, it uh, actually has, uh, uh, it is deep rooted in a very huge problem of our world because we know that climate change, it does exist. We know that the problem of plastic it does exist. We know that deforestation exists. Uh, so uh, there are real trends in society, uh, meaning that uh, it is really rooted in, in something which is tangible. Um, the point, as for all these all, all, all new technologies, will be uh, where it, where it will be it will find a point of, of, of assessment um, and the answer is when a good business model will be found depending on the sector then we will have the point of assessment uh, now there is a hype about hydrogen just to say one okay I think inside clean tech we should just talk about the different innovation which which uh, which you are talking about because we have the side of energy we have the side of no plastic we have the side of uh, reforestation we have the side of uh, fresh food and all these sides uh, has its own point of uh, uh, assessment let's say which of course is different so um, what i can say is is something real uh, it is really deep rooted and on top of that, I can add that um, there has been a change in marketing, if you think a bit about it. Uh, what, what do I mean? Um, till uh, at least 10, even only five years ago, um, in classical marketing classes, people were saying that um, when you have two products um, where, that have the same performance, of course, yeah, it doesn't exist, but one and one is green, then you have an advantage uh, because it is green and the other performance are just equal, okay, which is just an academic case. Um, today, we see that people in new generation are considering green as a, a added value per se, meaning that not everywhere, not in every sector, but you can have products or services which have a performance a bit less than the competitor, but because they are green, they can perform in terms of market better than their competitor. 
And this is something new because it's different from what we learn in classical marketing and from the uh, behavior of, 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 uh, of the society in the past. Okay. Thanks a lot. Thanks again for uh, your perspective on that. And what's going to keep you busy in the near future? Well, uh, in the near future, from uh, a really work perspective, uh, I'm really deeply involved in uh, what is called the field of proteins, uh, plant proteins. Uh, you know that there are a lot of startups, uh, especially in the United States, starting from Impossible Food or Beyond Meat, which are uh, selling um, products which are uh, based on protein ingredients. And what is new compared with the past uh, is that they are addressing the market of everybody. So what is called the flexitarians, not only vegans. And this is really the change in their business model. Why? Because people are looking to have less impact on, uh, on, uh, on the environment, what we were just saying uh, uh, in the previous question, but also looking for something more healthy. And uh, the problem of obesity is a huge problem in the United States, but even Europe. And so this new product can bring part of the answer to those problems. So uh, I, I will be involved in, in this sector. Uh, and, uh, but what is really um, keeping me up at night is the fact of really being able to have an impact. And so the other side is uh, the work of uh, uh, developing the innovation ecosystem in Italy and in Europe and uh, to see how uh, we could be able to better structure the Italian and European ecosystem, especially uh, after this, uh, this COVID. And one last question. What's the coolest thing that you expect to see in 2040? Well, uh, I, as a very huge innovation, I, I do not expect, in fact, it could be really strange for me because, uh, because of my scientific background, but I do not expect a technical uh, innovation to be the most important thing in 2030. I really think will be a kind of social innovation, maybe a new way of doing business, or even a, a, a new way to organize democracy in our society. Wow, very, very interesting. So thanks a lot, Enrico, for this very informative interview. We learned so many things today and uh, I wish you all the best for your future and thanks a lot for being with us. Well, thank you. Thank you, Federico, for this podcast and for what you are doing. It was really exciting to be here today and to have actually your question. Thank you. Thank you so Thanks much. Thanks a lot. Satisfied with today's guest, Federico? Absolutely. It was exactly the way we like it here. Concise, swift and on target. Yeah, you know what else is on target? Subscribing to this pod. Couldn't agree more. Folks, did you like it? Then hit the subscribe button and share it with your friends. Did you dislike it? Then hit the subscribe button and share it with that colleague you hate. Either way, follow us. So thanks a lot, Enrico, for this very informative interview. We learned so many things today and uh, I wish you all the best for your future. and. Thanks a lot for being with us. 
Well, thank you, thank you, Federico, for this podcast and for what you are doing. It was really exciting to be here today and to have actually your question. Thank you. Thank you so Thanks much. Thanks a lot. Satisfied with today's guest, Federico? Absolutely. It was exactly the way we like it here. Concise, swift and on target. Yeah, you know what else is on target? Subscribing to this pod. Couldn't agree more. Folks, did you like it? Then hit the subscribe button and share it with your friends. Did you dislike it? Then hit the subscribe button and share it with that colleague you hate. Either way, follow us. <laughs>